The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young. Pete Ball with me as always. And Pete, we are, we're recording this on Wednesday night. So we are, you know, almost 24 hours removed from the All-Star game ending and still almost, you know, 20-ish hours from baseball coming back. It's like the the lamest period of time ever of the baseball <laughs> season. So we're going to fill it in by recording a podcast for everyone to listen to on Monday, huh? Yeah, I think it's it's an opportunity for guys like us where, you know, we, we have your attention. If you want baseball, it's it's not coming from many places, but it's coming from Keeper Cut. That's right. Except we're going to hold this until Monday and only air it. Then. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Well, for us, I guess it fits a it scratches an itch. Scratches an itch. That's right. Did you watch the All-Star game? Uh, I watched the first couple innings. Um, I didn't, I didn't stick around. My wife wanted to watch a movie. So, uh, we got into a movie and that was, that was that you only have so much control over the TV when it's just the all-star game. If it was the Red Sox, you'd be like, all right, no, you know, you can watch that, but all-star game. Yeah. Unfortunately, my, my kids were busy with some, some class or like lessons. They were doing music lessons last night. And so they weren't home and Mm -hmm. without them, there's not a lot of like, like, I think if they've been home, I could have been like, oh, we should watch the all-star game. Julian will really like it. But no, without them, it was it was too hard. So I watched a little bit on my own, but I didn't watch a ton of it. I did see Emmanuel Classe just dominate the ninth inning, uh, which was which was pretty fun. He so, should have got the MVP. You know, someone else just said that to me, and I hadn't really thought about it, but he was uh, – I mean – that was the closest we've seen to Mariano Rivera since Mariano Rivera retired. He threw 10 straight cutters and guys either flailed at them or just like stared at them as they came back and caught the corner of the plate. 10 straight cutters, nine of them for strikes, three strikeouts inning over just dominance. Well, let me ask you this, Chad, if Giancarlo Stanton played for the guardians and Emmanuel Classa played for the Yankees, does Classa get the MVP? I don't know. You know, everyone's talking about this with with Buxton, as you know, and the <laughs> Twins fans are all up in arms. And no, that one doesn't make any sense. Like, well, my take on a, that is like Stanton hit a two run home run, Buxton hit a one run home run. Yeah, like, we're done here. That's it. Like, yeah, well, and not much yeah. more to it. No, and and then and someone was like, "Yeah, well, he hit the game winner," and it's like, "Yeah, you hit the game winner in the fourth <laughs> inning, and no one considers it a game winner." If he if that yeah. had been the eighth inning, I actually think there's a chance. Let's put, let's start with this. If the part if this is in an AL park. And those two guys go back to back in the ninth with the same two home runs and Buxton walks it off. Buxton well, yeah. gets the MVP. Of course. Even in maybe the eighth inning, right? If you add some leverage and you're like, this is a high leverage situation. He hit this game winning home run in the eighth inning off some elite closer. But like, I'm sorry, dude, you hit the second home run off Tony Gonsolin in the fourth inning. Right. Like, yeah. It's not that special. The guy, the guy who hit the two run home run gets it. I, I'm good with that. I do think there could be a case made for like, Maybe they need like an uh, an all star Cy Young award so that Class A could get that. Yeah, I'd be I'd be down with that. I think they have a really hard with the way they use pitchers. It's really hard to give a pitcher an MVP. Although it happened, it it happened two years ago um, when the twenty twenty All Star Game was in Cleveland. Who won and, it? I don't even remember. Uh it was Bieber, wasn't it? 
Now I'm forgetting. All-Star Game MVPs. This is actually embarrassing because I should be <laughs> totally on top of this. Uh, it's a it's a all-star game fact. Come it on. was Shane, it was 2019. Sorry, not 2020. That was part of what was throwing me off. But it was 2019. It was Shane Bieber. The game was in Cleveland. Bieber, I think, just threw, I think, just threw one inning. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just like they do, right? Like, no, no pitcher seems to go more than that. Um, but I think in that case, it was a like. Nobody did anything super exciting on offense. The final score of that game was four to three. And it was like the AL went up one, nothing went up two nothing. The national league made it two to one. The AL made it four to one. The NL came back and made it four to three. Like it wasn't nobody, nobody got some big hit. Nobody did anything super special. And then from a pitching perspective, let's see. I'm seeing if I can find the box score. Uh, let's see. There it is. On the AL side, yeah, they used nine pitchers for one inning each. And so it's interesting, actually. It's the the case for for Classe sort of matches this, which is that the AL pitchers, they had three pitchers who went their one inning and struck out the side. And I think the AL this year had two pitchers. Manoa, I think, also struck out the side. Yeah, I think he did. But one of those three was Liam Hendricks. He allowed a hit and an earned run. So he's not going to get it. Nope. Bieber set them down one, two, three, right? And then in the ninth, it was Araldis Chapman who got the save with a one, two, three, nine. So you, so you had these two pitchers who threw perfect innings with three strikeouts. And I think in that case, Bieber got it because it was in Cleveland, right? And like... Why not give it to the home? Like this, this is, we talked about this in the last episode, right? Like the all-star game is for the fans. And when you can right. do like Kershaw starting the all-star game was the right decision. And when it's in Seattle next year, if there's a Mariner on the roster pitcher, a Mariner pitcher on the roster, they should start. That's what it should be like. And, and I, to me, like MVP, had there been a Dodger who was a reasonable candidate for the MVP award, they should have won it. Yeah, like, like if that, Buxton that was just, a Dodger. If Buxton was yeah, a Dodger, I'd be fine with that. That'd be fine. Because I think that, like, again, make it for the fans. Make it, but but in this case, I don't think this was like, oh, the Yankees win everything. Blah, blah, blah. That was just, no. Stanton, <laughs> Stanton hit a two-run home run. Buxton hit a one-run home run. That's the difference. I just want it to be that. That's why I threw that out there. And I, I'm with you on, like, the, you know, if it's a home, if it's close, home team, give it to them. But I don't want people bringing that up for Hall of Fame cases. You know, sometimes you hear that, like, oh, so-and-so was, uh, you know, all-star game. MVP. Yeah, you actually hear it more. Do in the you hear NBA. someone say that I, in the N- in NBA circles? You will hear that every now and then. It's yeah. like, oh, part of his resume, he won the All Star Game MVP. Who cares? Yeah, no, that's a ridiculous thing. I mean, I like at least in the NBA, it feels like it's a like like the guy who wins the MVP of the NBA All Star Game plays like 25, 30 minutes and scores fifty points or something stupid, right? At least, sure. at least it's actually an accomplishment. They're like even it's Stan, not. <laughs> Stan didn't do anything. Like he had he had two at bats, he hit a home run. That happens like forty times a year for Stanton, and it's just I don't know winning the, winning the MVP of an individual baseball game is such a meaningless thing. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. But anyways, Buxton fans, get over it. <laughs> you he didn't deserve it. Uh, my fellow Guardian fans, I think we should take up the, the call for Class A. Maybe he should have won it, but I don't actually care. Um, I'm just <laughs> yeah, glad I'll, he's I will closer. 100% forget by this time next year who won the All-Star Game MVP the year I, before. I literally couldn't remember who the Cleveland pitcher who yeah. won it in Cleveland three years ago was. So, like, yeah, this just isn't that important. Um, <laughs> but with that, we should uh, let's get into our actual topic here, and maybe we'll even start with the not all-star game MVP. So we are today going to talk about our second half by lows. The second half, as we said, starting tomorrow for us, started just a couple days ago for everyone who's listening. And we wanted to go through and poke around at players who we think the value may be low and now might be the right time to, in some of these cases, pick them up. In some of these cases, trade for them. You know, some of these guys are, are not highly rostered. Some of them are. And... We already started talking about Buxton. 
He is highly rostered. You're not picking him off up. You, you know, I don't think he's on waivers anywhere. If he is, <laughs> you should get him. I think we'd, we'd agree with that. But Pete, you think Byron Buxton is a good second half by low? Yeah, I do. I do. And and I know obviously what you're going to say, because we, we talked about it before the show in regards to why he's not an ideal by low. Um, and I hear that. But the reason why I actually chose him is my own anecdotal experience um, where I put it out there that I was looking for pitching depth because I uh, I just lost Shane Boz in like all my leagues. But in one of my leagues, I lost Shane Boz. It's a 16-team league, so pitching is extremely thin. And somebody reached out to me and offered Frankie Montas, Tariq Skubal, and Byron Buxton for my Max Freed and Max Muncie. And so it is Fr- Freed and Muncie for who? who is the trio? Freed and Muncie for Montas, Skubal, and Buxton. Buxton. And so like it feels like a slam dunk except except for the fact that I already was thin on pitching and this was right at the height of Montas's shoulder issue where it was like the MRI came back clean but he's going to throw bullpens to see how he feels and it was like man if I trade Max Freed for Frankie Montas and then Montas goes down like my pitching's done. So that was the only thing that I hesitated but I, I obviously regret it now because it looks like Montas is healthy and he has he's supposed rest- to start tomorrow. Yeah, he's supposed by the to time to this airs, he might have thrown a perfect game <laughs> <laughs> or gone down with a shoulder injury. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't believe by the way, the... if he if he throws a perfect game tomorrow, I'm going to have to retire from podcasting <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because like, there's nothing I'll be able to top above that. So <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you got that offer. You turned it down, huh? Uh, well, I, I said, like, look, I'm I'm interested, but I want to wait to see how Montas feels after his bullpen session. Um, and the other manager rightfully got cold feet and rescinded it. I just couldn't believe how low he was selling on Buxton. That felt like the X factor. Like, it, it felt like it should have been Freed and Muncie for Scooball and Montas. I wouldn't have accepted that because I don't I, I know you like Scooball and we're going to talk about him. I'm, I'm a little on the fence with him, but Buxton just felt like he was thrown in there. I was like, holy crap, he's just throwing in Byron Buxton. And so looking at him, um, I I don't, and I'm going to say this about another player that we're going to talk about. I don't view Byron Buxton almost any different than how I viewed him at the beginning of the year. And like, if you drafted him looking for a lot of speed, I understand that, but you're not getting it. And we just have to kind of accept that. And if you looked at his stolen base totals throughout his career, he's never been a heavy stolen base guy. I mean, since, since the end of the 2019 season, including this year, he has 13 steals. So like, I I don't know if you were expecting that much speed, but he still hits the ball super hard. He barrels the ball really well for his career. You could think like, Oh, he's a big strikeout guy. And and his batting average is so low that he must be striking out a ton. He's really not compared to the rest of his career. I mean, his K rates 30%, which is bad. It was 24.4 last year. So it was much better but if you look at his swing strike rate, like I think it's going to get better for his career. He's a 14.5% swing strike rate guy. This year, he's 14.4. It's actually better than last year where he was at 14.8%. So I think that's going to begin to level off and we're going to see the average begin to creep up, especially when you look at the Babbitt. And that's kind of my last point on Buxton because it's not a whole lot to be said, but he's a career 304 Babbitt player. He's at 225. That's obviously going to go up. So for any buy low guy, it's easy to just look at BABIP and say, that's obviously going to get better, so you should buy low. But that doesn't make it not true. And I think that's the case with Buxton. So I'm not saying his average is all of a sudden going to jump up to like 300, but he's living down in like Kyle Schwarber territory. He's batting 216. I I could see that being 250 by the end of the year. And that means he's going to have a great second half. The power is going to continue to be there because on contact, he's great. And so if you have somebody in your league who's looking at Bucks and being like, ah, he's healthy and he's still not performing like a first rounder, you know, everybody's like, oh, Bucks and just stays healthy. He's going to be a first rounder. Well, he's healthy and he's not doing it. And he's only batting 216. If you do have a manager in your league that kind of feels that way, scoop him up because I kind of expect him to, to perform like a second or third round pick the rest of the way. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my my counter was based on a different trade offer, right? And I mentioned this earlier, but uh alex fast uh alex fast got a tweet someone tweeted at him uh earlier today and said alex i'm pretty new to fantasy baseball was offered jordan jordan alvarez for buxton neither could be a keeper head-to-head league with total bases runs stolen bases rbi and ops run to accept or just an even trade thanks for your help alex said run to accept even with that weird sort of toll, like it's a weird 
categories, right? Total bases, run, stolen base, RBI, OPS. Like yeah. Jordan Alvarez is a better <laughs> hitter than Byron Buxton. Period. Like that's that's an easy trade for me. But the, but what it came out to me was like that's still what Buxton is commanding, and that you know this manager like they're they're admitting they're they're new to fantasy baseball. They're just trying to get sort of validated. They even said in you know when when Alex said run to accept, they said yeah that's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure Jordan was healthy. Like I get why why they had questions, but like the the fact that that's even a consideration as a trade is like wow, there people are still really high on him. And then I was pulling up, you know, and we've talked about this before that on auto new player pages, you can see recent trades involving a player. So let's run through some recent Buxton trades because I think they're sort of all over the place. So there have been four Fangraphs points leagues that where Buxton's been traded since the start of July. On July 8th, a $17 Buxton and a $4 Vinny Pascantino were traded for a $16 Max Freed and a $6 Dalton Varsho. And that to me feels like kind of a sell low on Buxton, right? Because he, I mean, if you compare the two cheaper guys in that deal, Pascantino and Varsho, Pascantino to me in, a, in an auto new league, like a long-term league, Pascantino is more valuable to me than Varsho. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. And then, so then you're basically left with Buxton being traded for Freed, where if Pascantino is more valuable than Dar- Varsho, you have to therefore assume Buxton is being treated as less valuable than Freed. Which is interesting. I actually think Buxton for Freed is kind of even-ish. Yeah, I think that's I fair. Depending on the so, settings, but that's pretty yeah. fair. Well, it's, it's a Fangraphs points league. So, you know, the stolen bases don't, the lack of stolen bases doesn't matter as much. Right. But like, there's that, right? Then there's a trade that is, a $10 Buxton, a $19 Severino, Luis Severino, and a $9 Jose Urquidy for a $10 Sandy Alcantara, a $6 Kevin Biggio, and a $1 Aaron Savali. Now, Severino is hurt again. Urquidy's been fine. Not, not great, but fine. And so that deal basically to me comes down to Buxton and some, some slight upgrades. For Alcantara, for Alcantara, and like that seems like a super high valuation on Buxton. In that in that situation, I almost chose Severino for this exercise. I, I think I'm going to be a little bit higher on him. I, it's a grade one. Like it, it, apparently, it's not that bad. And I I expected him to get a phantom IL stint anyway. So to me, yeah. that's like a. And now the Severino is expensive, isn't it? Yeah, nineteen dollars Severino. Okay, well that lowers my thinking a little bit, but I, I think it's closer than you think, but you're right. That is a high evaluation of bucks. And if you're getting a $10 Alcantara, right? I mean, I'm just comparing that. Like in one of them, the return is a $10 Alcantara and the other one, the return is a $16 freed. Like it's just, they're, they're very different, right? Yeah. Then you've sure. got a, an $11 Buxton and a $1 Miguel Vargas, the Dodger third base prospect for a $63 Mike Trout. So this is a pure sell trade, right? This is this is a a team that must be at the near the bottom of the standings selling a $63 Mike Trout and the primary target they want is an $11 Buxton cuz $1 Vargas, I like Vargas but like who knows when when he'll get a shot if ever. So I so that that's an interesting one too. And then the last one just to get them all out there is an $8 Tyler Molly, an $8 Fran Mel Reyes and a $3 David Bednar. Who, by the way, in this format, $3 David Bednar is actually a very nice piece in a, in a Fangraphs points league for a $15 Buxton. And that to me is like, you're getting parts, right? I, Molly hasn't been good and now is hurt. Fran Mel Reyes is finally starting to hit again. And maybe this is just a buy low on Reyes and Reyes could be a good buy low candidate. And then a, a admittedly very good reliever, but still a reliever for a, a reasonably priced Buxton at $15. Yeah. I was going to so say at, he's an easy keep at 15 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's 17, even arbitration. If he's 19, like that's an easy keep. That's right. So when I look at all this, what I, what I just, what I'm seeing from the trade that you got from the trade that Alex was asked about from these four trades is Buxton's value is all over the place. Yeah. And it's totally dependent on who they're, ma- who has them on their team, what that manager thinks, what they're feeling in the moment. And so, I was getting ready to tell you that, like, no, Buxton is not a buy low. His value is still too high. And I think the real answer is 
it depends from league to league. Like more so, and that's always true, right? I mean, I think it's it's sort of a silly thing to say because in any league, you have managers who are high or low on a certain guy. But it looks to me like Buxton, maybe more than most, is there isn't a consensus on him right now on, on where his value is. I don't know if so, there's ever been a consensus on on Buxton. I mean, he was polarizing enough. going into drafts. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. So I, I'm I'm coming around to it. I'm coming around to it. So let's uh let's jump to one of my guys. Um, you mentioned him, so I'll I'll dive into him first because he was involved in one of your trades. And one of my buy lows is Tarek Skubal. So Skubal started this year just absolutely on fire. Like he was brilliant out of the gate through June seventh. He had a 2.33 ERA, a 2.08 FIP. He had a 2.84 XFIP, which suggested there was some home run to fly ball, home run per fly ball rate regression that could be coming. And it did. And it came in a, a, a big way all at once. But even with that regression, you thought, hey, things look pretty good here. From June 12th through July 3rd. So his next five starts after that, his ERA was nine. His FIP was 6.03. His XFIP was 4.57. So now you're getting a suggestion that the home run per fly ball rate overcorrected, which as I said, it did. And that was certainly part of the issue. So that opening stretch of the season through June 7th, his home run per fly ball rate was 5%. 5% rarely a sustainable home run per fly ball rate. After that, that five game stretch of, of awful, it was 20.8%, which is also not sustainable. Um, in general, that's not sustainable either because it's not real or because you won't be in Major League Baseball very long if you keep doing it. But it's just extremely unlikely that it was going to stay that high. He also had an issue with his walk rate. His walk rate for those first few starts was 4% and it jumped to 13%. And by the way, I'm saying those first few starts, it, it wasn't just a few starts. That That stretch from the beginning of the year through June 7th was 11 starts. So he had this 11-start run where he was absolutely excellent. In that run, 4% walk rate. In the five starts that were terrible after that, it went up to 13%. His velocity during the down stretch was down a touch. He was 94.4 in the good stretch and 94.1 in the, the down stretch. But the bigger issue was he was getting fewer swings, fewer chases, and throwing fewer pitches in the zone. Right, So you're not in the zone. People aren't chasing as much. You're not getting people to swing even in the zone as much. And so sure enough, you're not striking out as many guys. You're walking more guys. And when they do swing, they're being more selective. And so they're hammering the ball. His last two starts. So that, that five-start stretch ended a couple of weeks ago. He had two more starts before the All-Star break. Those last two starts, his velocity was up. It was 95.3 and 95.8. Those are the highest and third highest velocities had for a game this year. De- huge increase from where he was either, in either stretch, really. His zone rate came back up. His walk rate came back down. His home run per fly ball rate corrected to something more reasonable. I think it's actually, for those two starts, actually it's pretty low, but it's it's down to about 8% or something like that. His ERA over those two starts, however, is still 4.5 because he had some unfortunate sequencing in the second of those two starts uh, at Kansas City. But his FIP and his XFIP for those two starts is 2.45 and 2.85. So he is basically, he went, he had 11 starts, that were awesome. He had five starts that were terrible. And now he's had two starts that on the surface don't look very good, but underneath look exactly like those first 11 starts. And that sounds to me like we're going to get the screwball we saw to start the year again. And right now, the net of all this right now is that he has an ERA of 4.11 and his FIP on the year is 3.02. So his surface level stats, if you look at it as, you know, if you're on like ESPN or CBS or Yahoo, where when you send a trade offer, it has his stats that are next to it and his ranking and stuff like that, like his ranking and his stats are going to look bad compared to how well he's pitched. That 4.11 ERA is not going to, you know, no one's going to look at that and be like, oh, he's terrible. There's plenty of pitchers around there who are valuable, but it's not going to look real good. And he's been better than that. He's a better pitcher than that. And he has shown himself to be a better pitcher than that. And I, I think the upside is huge. And so I'm buying. If if I can go poke around and find a manager who's, you know, 
gotten frustrated since the start of June because Scooball looked brilliant and then looked terrible and is is looking at their, you know, like his his ERA even including these two better starts since the start of since the start of this bad run is 7.46. Even if I go back to the start of June, his ERA is 5.88. Like it's been bad for a while. And so finding a manager who's who's watched that happen has suffered through that has gone and like put him on the mound against Kansas City two of his last three starts. And in those two starts against Kansas City, he has given up nine earned runs in 10 and two-thirds innings. Like, I, I want to find the manager who's like, forget it. I'm not dealing with that anymore. And and bye. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you, you've kind of convinced me a little bit. I do, because walks were such an issue for him, and I, and I see, obviously, they went down in the last two games. I mean, Kansas City's in the bottom half of the league in walk rate, and the White Sox are dead last in MLB in walk rate. And so maybe they were. it was just a case of they, they had a bad game plan going against Scooball and, and don't know how to take a walk, and, and so he looked a little bit better in that quality start against the White Sox. I want to go err on the side of, like, yes, let's do it with Scooball, but when I look at his schedule for the rest of the season, like what it shapes up to be, I assume he's going to start game one for them right after the all-star break. I don't know if that's official and that should be a layup against Oakland. I hope he performs well there because after that, they kind of have a, a little bit of a tough schedule coming out of the break. It's going to be a doubleheader against Oakland. And then it looks like if he pitches in that series, he'll line up to face the Padres then who aren't a good offense on paper, but they've performed well. And then it's the blue Jays. He could get either the twins or the rays, then either the guardians or the white Sox again, it, it looks like for the rest of the season, I mean, they're facing a lot of teams that are either above 500 or they're teams that should be above 500 on any given night can go off other than the Royals. Um, so that worries me a little Who, bit. Just lit them up twice. <laughs> right. And exactly. Um, so but for long term for keeper leagues, which is what we're talking here, it, it could be he, his value might never be lower. You can say that about anybody, yeah. but Scooball's a player with upside who if he is turning it around, this might be your last chance. But for the rest of this season, looking at that schedule, I'd be a little bit worried. Yeah, and taking a look at a couple of uh, recent trades, and the and, you know, same thing we just did for Buxton, pulling up some Fangraphs points league trades, it looks to me like you can buy low on him. So the, some of the, he's involved in an eight-player deal and a, two eight-player deals, which are just too complicated to parse. So I'm going to look at two smaller deals. One's a six-player deal, one's a five-player deal that he was involved in in the last 10 days. So one of them is a $14 Ozzy Albies, a $20, $28 Luis Castillo, and a $17 Bo Bichette for a $16 Kyle Tucker, a $15 Wander Franco, and a $7 Scooble. And so you look at that, and if you think, you know, let's say, let's call it Tucker for Bichette, and then you've got like Franco for Albies plus Castillo or something like that. Given all the injuries in there, it's a little hard to parse what's going on there. But like, Scooball doesn't feel like he's pulling a lot of weight in that trade. No, so, he definitely doesn't. The, yeah. The other deal is an $18 Tim Anderson and a $12 Trevor Rogers Ugh. for a $4 Grayson Rodriguez, a $7 Tarek Scooball, and a $1 Ellie Dela Cruz. So this is a, this is a, looks like a sell. Like, this team is selling Tim Anderson and Trevor Rogers. I don't mind Trevor Rogers as sort of a, a cheap buy low, but if I can sell an $18 Tim Anderson in a, in a format that doesn't value his speed and that is heavy and on base and not on average. And for that, I get Scooball along with Grayson Rodriguez and Ellie Dela Cruz. Like it just doesn't feel like it takes that much to get Scooball right now. And so no, cause if I was a seller, like now is the time to do it. If I was a seller, I, I might be okay with trading an $18 Tim Anderson for Grayson Rodriguez, right? I yeah. mean, I, it's not a yeah. $1 Rodriguez, it's a four. So next year it'll be six. I get that, but I, I don't know. I'm should of... only be five next year because he hasn't, he won't make oh, his that's debut right. this year. That's right. But yeah. Still, so, five, six, you know. Still, I'll take the buck. Yeah. I can work some magic with a dollar in an auction. Oh, yeah. You never know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my first guy. Let's, uh, let's jump over to one more of yours before we take a break. And since we're talking pitchers, let's keep talking pitchers. This is a guy I was super high on before the season. I actually like I made a big deal in our in our league, our uh, Fangraphs 
staff league that you and I are in, I made a, a pretty big deal of refusing to include him in a deal for a long time in the off season and then eventually relented and traded him. And good move. <laughs> turns out that was a good decision. So why should I buy back in on Ranger Suarez? So I'm not entirely sure you should, <laughs> but I'm going to make the case that, that he's turning a corner or at least attempting to turn a corner here. Um, and, and so I like that you brought up the last two starts for Scooball because it's going to make me feel like my sample size is plenty big for, for Ranger Suarez. Cause I'm also going to talk about his last two starts. Now, when we drafted him, well, I didn't have him in too many spots, but when we drafted him, when, I'll use we, um, we were expecting elite ground ball rate going deep into outings um, and should have decent ratios. We weren't expecting a lot of strikeouts, and that's fine. And obviously, we haven't gotten that. But if you look at his last two outings, and and there there was an IL stint in between. I can't remember what it was, but it was not arm-related, if I remember correctly. Um, anyway, his last two outings against the i just had it up in front of me against the marlins on july 16th and against the uh braves on uh june 29th in those two outings his strikeout rate was 25 percent for the season he's at 18.8 his walk rate was at 4.5 for the season he's at 9.1 his swinging strike rate this is what caught my attention was at 11.5 which is right where it was last season when it looked like he was breaking out for the season, he's at 7.7. And if you look at the FIP, the XFIP, both of those were much better in his last two outings, which is, I mean, it's a very small sample for FIP and XFIP, but that's fine. And his whip in those two outings, 1.03, his whip on the season, 1.42. So for looking for somebody to buy low on, you have to look at small samples because if he does that for one or two more outings, you're not buying low anymore. You're now buying high. So like we're, we're walking a fine line here and you need to catch it before it gets too hot. And so what has actually changed? Is this something legit or is it like, ah, he got to face the Marlins and, you know, got lucky in another outing? Well, he's using a sinker less. His sinker, which maybe this is a concern and this is why I said like, I'm not sure if he's a buy low or not. His sinker has not been nearly as effective this year and that's his bread and butter, right? Like last year, he was like a 60% ground ball rate guy. That's an absurd range. That's like Framber Valdez territory. That's crazy. But he's still at like 54% this year. We'll take it. But the sinker has been hit a lot more. Um, he's getting way less whiffs on it, which is fine. It's a pitch to contact pitch, but it's not a good thing that he's getting less whiffs. And so his last two outings, he's actually used it a lot less. And he's increased his usage on most notably his curveball, but really all of his other pitches, um, I guess, just to, to keep hitters off balance a little bit more. Um, and it's worked because he's, he's maintained an elite ground ball rate. It has gone down a little bit in his last two outings, but obviously the results have been much better. So I don't think he's figured something out. That's why I kind of hesitated. I don't think he's like, okay, now I need to use my curveball up around 20% and, and I'm good. I'm locked in. I think he's still working on it because his curveball usage in one of those two outings was very different than the other. The slider, he has completely abandoned in his last two outings, really much of this year, but definitely in his last two outings, I think combined, he's thrown one slider. So I, I think he's working through some stuff, but as he's working through it, the results have gotten better. And if that continues to happen, you're going to miss the opportunity to buy low. And I, I think he's somebody who you can buy so low on. I'm willing to bet he's an, a free agent in a lot of leagues. Um, and I, I just added him actually in that league where I said I was having some depth issues. And my last point on on Suarez and why I think no matter what, it's kind of an okay deal or idea to buy low. Unlike Scooball, his schedule the rest of the way, man, I mean, it looks pretty juicy. So like they've got the Cubs, then the Braves, but then the Pirates uh, to end July. Then he's got a two-game series with the Braves, which he might, who knows, not have to pitch in. Uh, by this point, Juan Soto's probably not going to be on the Nationals. They have the Nationals for four, then the Marlins, then they got to face the Mets, but then the Reds, they get the Reds again, then the Pirates, then the Diamondbacks. And in September, it's almost all bad offenses, like up, up and down the board. Giants, Marlins, Nationals, Marlins again, the Braves. The Blue Jays, the Braves, that's going to be a tough week. And then they end the season with the Cubs and the Nationals. Like, that's, I, I know I just dumped a lot out there. That's a lot of bad offenses down the stretch. So if I have Nola or Wheeler, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm all of a sudden willing to buy low on Ranger Suarez as well. Because if he is turning a corner and he gets this lofty schedule, and who knows, maybe he misses that series against the Blue Jays or he, he misses a couple of those Brave series. And now he's just facing all cupcakes like he did last year, by the way, when he went on that amazing stretch. That was a pretty cupcake schedule. Um, and you could be looking at a, a pretty awesome buy low, at least for quality starts and, and wins. Yeah, I was going to point out that it's, you know, he was uh, 
he had such an easy schedule. And so the fact that he's sort of picking it up again against an easy schedule is going to lead to a lot of doubters, which Fine. may be a good reason <laughs> to buy, right? I mean, that yeah. may be like... I don't but, care if he performs. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I think... Uh, I, I'm, I I hear what you're saying, and I'm starting... I, I, I'm, I'm getting curious. I was poking around to see where he is in my leagues. I was looking at some... like I'm not going to go through trades like we have for the other guys, because... There's a couple of trades in here where he's been traded for some actual pieces, but like there like one trade was literally a three dollar Ranger Suarez for nothing. Someone was just like, <laughs> if you'll take on his full salary, you can like if, if I can avoid the cap penalty, you can have him. Um definitely he, he a buy is, low. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think he is pretty readily available. And so I would and like you know, there's 20% of auto new leagues he's unrostered. So he's he's out there and he's he's probably worth worth a look, even if it's just a short term thing to see if if he turns it around. So I'm I'm with you. I, I like that by low. Let's take a quick break and when we come back, we got three more names for you. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, welcome back. I am going <laughs> to... This is sort of funny. So we just... I, I, I've come up with weird connections from each player. We talked about, you know... You talked about Buxton before we even got into this. We talked about him. You mentioned Scooball, so we got into him. Well, now we just talked Ranger Suarez. And... Oh, it's actually not even right. I Before the season, one of the things that freed up Ranger Suarez in a trade for me was that we picked up Niv and I picked up another player who has struggled. That wasn't necessarily a trade that we should have been thrilled about the way it's gone so far. And that is key Brian Hayes. So we had, uh, we had picked up key Brian trying to remember. I'm going to just see if I can pull up what we did to get that trade, but it, it gave us some, a little bit of extra freedom to make the Suarez trade. Um, Oh, because in that deal, we we traded a $33 Corey Seager for a $7 Cabrian Hayes and a $9 Ian Anderson. Oh, But at the time, it was like, oh, now we have Anderson. We got one more pitcher we need. We can trade Ranger, which at least that one worked out because that deal, (laughs) that deal, we gave up Ranger and we gave up uh, Joey Gallo. We gave up Ranger, Joey Gallo, and Alec Thomas, which hurts a little bit. But we got Julio Urias, Jesse Winker, and someone else. I can't remember who the third was. But yeah. So anyways, neither here nor there. The point is that we just talked about Suarez. In my head, Suarez is connected to a trade I made for Cabrian Hayes. And so we're going to talk about Cabrian Hayes next. (laughs) And for Cabrian Hayes, I mean, honestly, at some level, the story can be told in three numbers. He has a 90th percentile average exit velocity, a 90th percentile max EV, and a 90th percentile hard hit rate. That's that's pretty good. And he's not a high strikeout guy. He doesn't have major issues with walks. Like the plate discipline looks good. The issue is he has a 17th, a 17th percentile barrel rate and a correspondingly low home run per fly ball rate. And it comes down to launch angle for him. He has a 5.2 launch angle. He has a nearly 50% ground ball rate and only a 28.9% fly ball rate. He hits the ball really, really hard and he just needs to elevate it. And and just as a, like sort of a a comparison here, pre-breakout, the Marlins vintage of Christian Yelich was 92nd percentile average exit velocity. Cabrian, I said, is 90th. 
88th percentile max exit velocity. Again, Cabrian was 90th. And 95th percentile hard hit rate. Again, Cabrian was 90th. They had very similar plate discipline numbers, especially given different air. Like, you know, five years ago doesn't seem like a different era, but like strikeouts are higher than they were, right? And so Cabrian's striking out, I think, 1% of the time more often than that version of Yelich did. So like, that's that's pretty similar. Um, just elevate the ball. Cabrian, if you're out there listening, <laughs> elevate the ball. And I know that's easier said than done. I know it's not a small thing. And there, there are probably reasons to be concerned that like, if the Pirates haven't gotten him to do that yet, why would the Pirates get him to do it anytime soon? But like, I do believe the breakout is coming for Cabrian Hayes. I still believe that. And if you're in, especially if you're in a five by five league, like he has 10 stolen bases this year. So if you're in a five by five league, he is like, he's not going to win you your league, at least as he's playing right now. But the Cabrian we've seen so far is 207th on the Rasball player Raider, which means even in a shallow league, a, a 21 player, 12 team league, there is still even a 21 player, 10 team league. There is enough room for the 207th best player to be rostered. He is a roster role player in all those formats. And if you can get away with a third baseman who offers little more than speed, and that really is all he's averaging, all he's offering right now. I would absolutely buy low on him. Take the eight to 10 stolen bases. He's going to give you in the second half and put them in the bank and then wait and see. Because the upside here is big. It's real big. Now, there isn't evidence yet that that launch angle is going up. He has, it's not like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, he just needs to elevate the ball. And over the last month, guess what he's doing? Like, that's not the story here. He's not doing that yet. But that is it. That is all it takes. More line drives, more fly balls, fewer ground balls. And Cabrian Hayes is a star. Yeah, I mean, you hit it with it's not happening recently, right? And that's part of what makes him a buy low. Because remember, it, it's not like very recently these guys are going to be performing excellently. It's it's we're looking for signs, and a slight adjustment to the launch angle would be huge, huge for Hayes. But like you said, in July, that ground ball rate is fifty nine point six percent, which would be by far his highest ground ball rate of any month this year. So it's not trending in the right direction right now. But I'm with you, and I was listening to the Rates and Barrels podcast. They just talked about this recently, like within the last week, and I don't want to misquote them, but they were talking about guys who have an issue with barrel rate right now, and and two of them that that they were discussing were Andrew Vaughn and Key Brian Hayes. And I know Eno preferred Vaughn, but something that, that he said, and again, I hope I'm not misquoting him, and our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but ultimately, when talking to hitting coaches, that like they would rather a guy have the angle issue. Like they would rather them hit the ball hard than have them hit the ball in the air, but not hard. Um, and it's because like, like you can't just teach them to hit the ball harder, but you can make an adjustment to put it in the air. Totally now, agree. Totally now, agree. Eric Hosmer hears that and rolls his eyes, but Eric Hosmer's, I feel like are, are rare. And, and I, I, you know, your Yandy Diaz is your Eric Hosmer's. I don't, I'm not ready to say that Brian Hayes is the next Yandy Diaz. I think like you, he can be more, which in your long-term leagues definitely profiles as a pretty good uh, buy low. Yeah. And I would say, by the way, in a keeper league where I roster him, I would consider trading him for a win now piece because we aren't really seeing those signs yet. So I'm not saying that you you know don't trade him, sit on him at all costs. Like I'd move him for the right deal, but don't just bail on him because... I think that I think that breakout is coming. And if I were selling, he would absolutely be the kind of guy I would target. For sure. So let's jump to your third buy low. And this is another guy. I, I've had him in a couple places. I've given up on him in a couple places. And I wasn't really thinking about getting him back, but maybe I'm wrong. Talk to me about Jorge Soler. Yeah, so Soler, first of all, I feel like I've been hearing about Jorge Soler since like cavemen were around, but he's only 30 years old. Um, so if you're thinking like, well, he's declining, like I was like, I thought he was like 34. He's not, he's 30. Um, but I'm not just saying he's a buy low because he's younger than I thought he was instead. It's actually for maybe even a less exciting reason. And I'm glad we saved him for last. Cause I have the least amount to say, I don't, my evaluation of Jorge Soler kind of like Buxton has not changed in ounce since the season started. Um, if you drafted him expecting a batting average or speed, you obviously had no idea why you were drafting Jorge Soler. 
you're drafting him for some absurd power. Now he's dealt with injuries um, and, and certainly looking at his BABIP down at 255. He's a career 292 guy. Maybe that's going to trend in the right direction. I don't know. He hasn't been up at a 292 BABIP since 2020. Um, so it, it's been a while since he's been in that territory. But I think we kind of forgot the power upside that Jorge Soler possesses. And when you look at his underlying numbers, particularly um, his his batted ball profile, like or I'm sorry, his quality of contact, nothing's really changed. Like last year, 12.7% barrel rate. This year is at 12.4. Um, the barrel per plate appearance is very similar. His average exit velocity is literally exactly the same as last year. His max EV this year is off by 03 and it's an absurdly high 117.6 batter ball event, uh, mile an hour batter ball event. His launch angle is still pretty solid at 13.8. Like, I'm not going to read you the whole thing. You can look it up on StatCast if you want. But like, it, it, nothing's really changed that much, except he hasn't. It, it, the, the results have not been as good. So if there's somebody in your league who's dropped Jorge Soler, um, especially in a five outfielder league, or just has him on his bench, and you think you can pounce by low. I would, because the last thing I'll say about him is something that we talked about before the season started, that he might be a pretty decent trade candidate. And if Solaire finds himself in a new location um, where it's a better offensive environment, we literally saw that happen last year, and it completely turned his season around. He was batting under 200 with the Royals, looked lost, terrible place to hit, terrible lineup to hit in, goes to the Braves, wins a World Series, and looks amazing doing it. Um, this year, he's back in a tough ballpark to play in in Miami if he does get traded. And I haven't heard any rumors, but we kick this around because he's a veteran guy, 30-year-old on a team that's a losing team. I know that there might be mysteriously in the hunt. That's not going to last. It's Miami. Um, and if they do trade Solaire and he ends up in a better spot, it's not a reason to trade for him right now. Like If that's the only thing is he might get traded, then don't do it. But I don't, I, my valuation hasn't changed. I think he's still a top 200 player. I think he's going to hit for a lot of power in the second half, even if it's in Miami. But I think there's a pretty good chance it's somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, his, you know, the funny thing is last year, you, I, I keep wanting to go back to a season last year and be like, oh, like he started hitting the ball harder once he moved. No, like his max EV went up after the trade, but his average EV with KC was 92.3. It was 89.6 with Atlanta. His hard hit rate with KC was 49.5. With Atlanta, it was 40.7. It was 13.2% barrel rate with KC, 11.4 with Atlanta. And the point of that is just to say all of his numbers this year across the board that you were saying are in line with last year, they are all better than what he did with Atlanta. Like all of his, his quality of contact is better than it was on that second half scorching tear he went on once he, be, once he got to the Southeast. And yeah, he's... There's just no reason to think that he can't do that again. He might not, but he's he's more than capable of of putting on a show. Yeah, it, not a lot's changed. At, at, at last thing, the swing strike rate. At, like if you think like, oh, he's striking out. Maybe he's, it's not that much different. It's twelve point one last year. It's it's thirteen percent this year. That's well within the margin for error. So I, go pick up Solaire. Yep, I'm with you. Got one more name to talk about. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned that they were looking at guys with barrel rate problems. And that was one of the things I went to look at. And that's how I came up with, with Hayes was I looked at guys who like their hard hit rate and their barrel rate are just way far apart for some reason. The other thing I wanted to look at was guys whose barrel rates and home run per fly ball rates were far apart. And I couldn't figure out why. And a couple of guys popped up there who weren't that interesting, but this guy popped up and he was, and that's Kevin Biggio. And, Biggio stands out. He has a 10.5% barrel rate, which if you go to his Savant page, you won't see this because he doesn't have enough plate appearances or batted ball events to qualify. Luckily, Trey Mancini has the exact same 10.5% barrel rate. So I went to his StatCast page and he had, that is a 71st percentile barrel rate. Okay. Not elite, but very good. Now he's a little bit overrated on that because it's a per batted ball event number and he strikes out a lot. But when you're comparing barrel rate to home run per fly ball rate, it, sh it shouldn't matter, right? Like the large number of strikeouts would mean that he gets fewer fly balls. It shouldn't mean that his home run per fly ball rate stays down. So he's got the 71st percentile barrel rate. His home run per fly ball rate this year is 5.9%. League-wide home run per fly ball rate is 11.4%. So he is just barely over half 
the home run per fly ball rate for the league, despite a 71st percentile barrel rate, right? Like he should be above average in home run per fly ball rate. He should be at like a 14% home run per fly ball rate or something like that. Out of 311 players who have 150 plate appearances so far this year, only 58 have a lower home run per fly ball rate than him. And out of that group, the closest barrel rate to him is AJ Pollock at eight and a half percent. And I don't think anyone else is over eight. And Pollock, by the way, might be another buy low is the one thing that might be jumping out at that is like, he also has a decent barrel rate and an absurdly low home run per fly ball rate. But like, there's just no reason Biggio's home run per fly ball rate should be in the same class as the guy he's in a class with. There are more home runs coming. Now, he also popped up when I was doing another comparison of strikeout rate to swinging strike rate. Of those same 311 players, only 98 of them have a lower swinging strike rate. Now, being the like 100th lowest swing strike rate, that's not some like, again, sort of like the barrel rate. It's not elite, but it's good. It's above average. Um, but his K rate is over 29%. Only three players have a K rate over 29% and a swing strike rate rate at or below 10%. It is hard to do that. Now, Biggio is very patient, maybe even to a fault. And that may be, that, that will mean, I'm not even saying may, it will mean that his strikeout rate will be higher than you would expect based on a swinging strike rate because he will take a lot of strikes, right? He'll have a lot of called strikes. 29% still seems extreme to me. I would still expect that to come down. Now, the third piece, so the, 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 you know, the first leg of my Kevin Biggio tripod is that more home runs are coming. The second leg is that more, or that strikeouts will drop. The third is that he's already hitting really well. So on the year, he has a 108 WRC plus, which is you know, an above average line, which is good. However, he was sent to the minors in April. Remember that he got sent down and like after a couple of weeks, he'd been terrible. He got called back up on May 26. Since he was called back up, he has a 133 WRC plus. Wow. Like he's been really good. He has a 259, 380, 435 slash line since he was called back up. He's he's been excellent, and there are good reasons to think that there's more improvement coming as his home run per fly ball and K rate stabilize a little more. So there's some challenges. The biggest one is that he isn't playing every day, right. and so you, you can only go pick him up in a, in a you have to it's got, it almost has to be a daily league or a very deep league or both. There there are weekly leagues that are deep enough that you're using part time players. That's that's fine. There are daily leagues that are shallow where you could plug him in when he plays. And he he has eligibility all over the field, which also really helps. Um, but he's been good. And like in in OBP leagues, he should be universally rostered. In uh, I guess I guess I should call that. In deep enough OBP leagues that you can use a guy who isn't playing every day, he should be rostered all over. Because like I said, he has a 380 OBP. And if more of those fly balls turn into home runs, a lot of those fly balls that are currently not turning into home runs are turning into outs. And so that on-base percentage, like there's upside in that on-base percentage if he strikes out less and hits more home runs. And so I'm I'm in. I, I think, uh, ironically, I cut Biggiono League like a week ago. And then I... Picked him up very, very briefly in another league and caught him in that one too because I, it, I was I was trying to set my roster for the Auto New Prestige League playoffs and he was one guy I was considering and then I decided against him because he doesn't work well for OPL because he plays so rarely. But I'm already kicking myself because I would love to have him for that league. Like I wish I hadn't picked him up and dropped him. I wish I just waited and picked him up after my team was set for OPL because he's not a good fit for OPL, but that's a 4 by 4 league. And in a 4 by 4 league, I would love to have Bishio. If he's going to hit more home runs and give me a like high 300s OBP, yeah, I'm all in. Which, as you pointed out, I think is actually kind of likely. And and the big thing, like you said, is the playtime. I'm actually not so concerned about that. I mean, maybe foolishly, but Santiago Espinal, even though like, even though he was an all star, like it's already the, the warts are beginning to show in July. The OPS is 627. The WRC plus is 76. Um, this is a team that is absolutely in the hunt for the playoffs and is fighting for their lives to make the playoffs. So if Biggio can give them something, especially as the lefty in that tandem, I think that the playtime could certainly be there. So I'm not 
too worried. Maybe what I'm saying is I'm not as worried about the playtime as maybe some others are. I think the playtime is going to end up being there. And and it doesn't even have to be Espinal, by the way. He's a very versatile player that can find his way into the lineup in many different ways. So he was a guy I was touting at the beginning of the year. I kind of liked him. I looked like a moron for suggesting that. But you've made me feel a little bit better looking at this and thinking, you know, he has actually not been bad especially since he's gotten called up. And if the play time's there and things begin to regress to where they should be, he could uh, he could be pretty valuable. Yeah, and talking about him playing all over, I mean, just sit, like since he was called back up, he has played first, second, left. Uh, that's it, actually. That's all he's played. He hasn't played. It's interesting. He hasn't played any third base this year. But even that uh, shows his range. Outfield, first base, yeah. and second base, all very different spots. Yes, and he did play, I think, primarily at third base last year. That so makes sense. the reason he's not playing at third base, not anyone, like they, they traded for Chapman. I forgot about that for some reason. And so like there's no room for him at third base unless I guess Chapman gets hurt. Oh, please Which I guess the happen. other thing on. Well, the other I guess, though, the other the other thing worth talking about on, on Bigeous playing time is if literally anybody gets hurt on that team. Yeah, he's the guy. He's their backup. He's the backup for literally everyone except maybe Bichette at shortstop. So I, from that perspective, like he could slot in anywhere at any time. And, you know, you got to look at what your, what your league settings are, but in auto new, he qualifies at first, second, third and outfield in my CBS league where I somewhat stupidly dropped him. Although I did it for good reason. Oh, I, I didn't drop him. I thought I dropped him, but I'm now searching for him. And it turns out he's on my roster. (laughs) Nice. Uh, interesting. He qualifies at first, second, third, and outfield. And in that league, we have a corner infield and a middle infield. So he can basically play anywhere but shortstop for me on that team, um, which is why I picked him up in the first place. And now I'm really glad I didn't drop him. Huh. Let's really, this is a, a really exciting episode. I just found <laughs> out I have a player I thought I had dropped. I think I tried to drop him. Now I, now I feel like I need to go look at what I was doing that like, because I'm fairly certain there was someone I wanted to pick up and I was like, eh, fine. I'll give him up. Oh, I had him in our last fab period. I had him as my drop to pick up either Leody Tavares or Matt Carpenter. And I lost both of those bids is what happened. And I didn't even realize it. Interesting. I really well, like Tavares. I do too. Yeah. We don't need to go down there, but uh... no, I'm, I, I am. I would have been okay. Dropping Biggio for Tavares. Yeah. It would have been fine. However, I didn't, and now that Tavares isn't available, maybe I'll just stick with Biggio. I'll have to look at what is, what's out there, but like, yeah, that's an OBP league. It's also a doubles and triples league. Like, one of the categories is extra base hits, so um, he has some added value because of that. So, yeah, I think I'll just stick with him. But So that's our, our six buy lows for the second half. Pete, anything else we should throw out there for people? Anyone else you want to talk about? Well, I thought it was actually a pretty interesting keeper league rule conversation that um, we had in our our DMs for Keeper Cut Listener League One um, that like it actually gave me a heart attack for a second. Because if you remember at the beginning of the year, I commissioned like like six different leagues on ESPN and they had that new rule where like keeper price is attached to round value. Um, and so all my rules changed for all my keeper leagues. And it was Jonathan Moses who's in our league one. So shout out to Jonathan for bringing this up. That brought up brought up that like if you these are fab leagues so the waiver order doesn't matter but it worried me for my leagues because it would have mattered for waiver anyway bottom line like if you were out of it and you had the most fab left and let's say you had like you know i don't know a second round or third round aaron judge and you wanted to keep judge well if you dropped him and then added him back according to the rules he would then basically cost nothing he would be the cost of a free agent because he was dropped um, and, and fortunately you guys had a conversation. It looks like, you know, it, Jonathan came up with a solution that if you drafted the player, it's whatever you, the cost that you drafted him for. And that kind of solves the issue and, and, and we're good there. Um, but I just thought that was like fascinating. And then I realized that in my leagues, they, they not only have to, they have to clear waivers and then be added as a free agent for their value to change. If they go through waivers, then it's still the same. So like if I dropped Jordan Alvarez for a first round cost and he gets picked up, on waivers by the first team, he still costs a first round pick. So that's just a way around it. I just, I just found that interesting and what a genius strategy if there was not a rule for that. Yeah. We need to talk about that for league 
two because that was league one we talked about that in right yeah yeah we should talk about that for league two and make sure we have a, a similar i have a free walker bueller place, though who i know you hate but i yeah. somebody dropped walker bueller. someone else dropped him I, I spent like like 290 fab on him or something i was so excited yeah. i had to get him but now i have a really tempting trade offer for him so we'll see Ooh, interesting yeah yeah i think uh i think it's a I like that fix. I think it's a good fix. I'm in other leagues where the fix is that you, if you drop a player, you have to wait. There's like a waiting period. Like Otto New has that 30 day waiting period. I'm in another league that's a 21 day waiting period that like you can't reacquire a player you dropped for that period of time. Sure. Um, but that's, it's a lot harder to police. And so, uh, except in Otto New where it does it automatically. Um, but in our CBS league, it's hard to, it's hard to manage. Like this one, this is a good fix. I like that fix. And I think it'll, I think it'll work. And I think we should apply it to the other league as well. For so, sure. It's a little, little preview if I don't get a message out to that league before, <laughs> before the next couple of days. So, um, yeah, with that, thank you for listening. Reminder to subscribe to Keeper Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. You should also leave us ratings and reviews. Help us find new audience. You can follow us on Twitter at Keeper Cut. Send us your keeper questions, your buy and sell questions, trade deadline questions as the trade deadline's approaching. You can also hit us up directly. You can get Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. Hope you enjoyed the All-Star break. Hope you've enjoyed the start of the second half of the season, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>